Good morning, amen. Please be seated. Welcome once again. A reminder, my name is Craig and I'm the senior pastor. I look out and see lots and lots of guests with us this morning. Thank you for being with us and welcome to Malvern Hill this morning as we've gathered together. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1, and we're going to read all the way through verse 13. So if you've been trying to work up the courage to read Scripture in your life group, next Sunday probably wouldn't be the best time because it's 13 verses long. But if you've been working up the courage, and next Sunday's when you're going to do it, you want to start practicing now. Y'all could have smiled at that. It would have been okay. All right. Please stand with me in honor of God's Word. Let me read to you. And as he, this is, this is Jesus, as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved." Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we are reminded that the violence that you prophesied has visited even our own country in the last 24 hours. Father, you did not promise us that the world would be easy, Lord God. Instead, Father, through your word, you have shown us that violence will be, Father, the definition of sinful humanity until such time as you return. Father God, we do pray for those who have been affected. Lord God, in, in Texas, Lord God, we pray for those who've been affected in Ohio. Father God, we even pray for those who've been affected by violence in our own communities. Father, and across the globe. Father, I pray this morning that as we wrestle with some of these hard things, as, as these things weigh fresh on our minds, that Father God, we wouldn't give up, we wouldn't quit. That Father, in your word, we would find hope. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm not much into boxing, I, I just don't watch it often, but uh, many of you know that, uh, undoubtedly, that the idea of throwing in the towel comes from a boxing analogy. 
Uh, it's, it, it goes back a little further in the middle of the, the 19th century, in the, in the, so in the middle part of the 1800s, it was common to talk about throwing in the sponge. They didn't throw in a towel, but if you've got an idea about what it looks like, there are times when in the middle of a boxing match uh, that uh, the, the beating may become so severe that the trainer in the corner, somebody in the fighter's corner actually needs to stop the fight. And so they stop the fight by throwing the towel. And if you've ever seen this happen, it's not, it's not a gentle thing usually. By the time it reaches that point, you'll often see the trainers climbing over the ropes and into the, into the, 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 the boxing ring. And they throw the towel at the referee. They want to get his attention. Stop the fight. Folks, I, I know that in a group this size, it is without doubt to me, that some of you have been tempted this week just to quit. Some of you have been tempted this month just to quit, just to throw in the towel, just to give up. That life got hard, that Christianity got hard, that family got hard, that work got hard, that marriage got hard. And it's tempting in those moments to just quit. Folks, this morning I want to urge you, do not give up. Do not quit. I want you to be reminded in this sermon this morning that there is one who fights for you. That there is one who goes ahead of you and his name is Jesus. I want you to be reminded this morning that the struggle of our world is not a surprise for those who believe God's word because Jesus warned us there would be hard days ahead. And yet in the middle of that warning to his disciples, he says, don't quit, endure to the end. Folks, a faith that saves is a faith that stays Those who belong to Jesus belong to Jesus to the end. And I want to urge you this morning, don't quit. Jesus warned his disciples that there are great trials and tribulations to come, but there is salvation that awaits all who endure. But how in the world can you endure? How can you hold on when life is hard? What do you do when it seems like everything is stacked up against you? I want to work through three things that Jesus gives us this morning. And in these three things, I want to urge you not to give up. The first thing that Jesus says to his disciples is he says, recognize that the world is a violent place. Recognize that the world is a violent place. Now, there was no way that when I wrote this message earlier this week that I could have known that yesterday would involve the deaths of, of his, uh, up to maybe even more, um, by the time it's all said and done, 30 people in two mass shootings in our country. There's no way I could know that. El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio, those communities are shattered by violence. There's no way I could know. I didn't know when I wrote this that this last month alone, nearly 1,500 civilians died in Afghanistan in the most violent month in their country since 2017. I didn't know that. I didn't know that we would have, even in our own community, a shooting in the Lugoff area that made it into the news. I did not know those things. But as heartbreaking as they are, I can't be surprised by those things because Jesus warned us that this is a violent world and that violence would continue to reign even after his arrival. Now you say, Craig, where does he say that? He says it right there in verse 1 and 2. 
They said, Jesus, look at this temple. Look at these stones. Look at this beautiful place. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he points around and says, let me tell you something. He says, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, what does that have to do with violence? Let me tell you a little bit about the temple complex under Herod's reign. Under Herod's reign, the temple complex constituted about 35 acres of enclosed space. That's up to about 12 football fields. Now, not only was it a large space, it was built in an incredible fashion. Josephus tells us, and Josephus doesn't have to tell us because we can even attest to this at the Temple Mount today with some of the foundation stones, that many of the stones cut to build the temple were 40 feet wide by 12 feet high by 18 feet Deep. Josephus says that some were possibly as much as 65 feet long. There's a reason, and, and look, <coughs> for those of you that might be a skeptic in here today that believes that's far too much and, and it couldn't be true, again, all you have to do is go to Jerusalem. And if you go to the old city, you can see there in the foundation stones that are still 40 feet wide. Unbelievable. One of the marvels of the ancient world. And as the disciples marveled at this building, this construction that by this point was still not complete but had been going on for 50 years, Herod is building something that is not only a temple to God, but it is a temple to his accomplishments and achievements. And Jesus says to his disciples, Look around, because not one of these stones will be left upon another. The what you see is going to be destroyed. Folks, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, the world is violent and it is only going to get worse. How can we endure a world filled with violence and with hate and with evil? Folks, how can we believe in God if all these things are true and yet we come to God's word and we see a Savior who tells us that this is is reality a savior who warns us that this is coming i have people that often question my faith question the existence of god and they say if there is so much evil how could there be a god and what i want you to hear me say today and we can get into a deeper theological discussion about this possibly later but what i want you to hear me to say is that jesus warned us that there would be days like this he warned us that when the kingdom of God erupted in the person of Jesus Christ, that all the powers of evil and hell would not stand back and go, welcome Jesus, let's celebrate, but instead that the cosmic interaction of spiritual forces would bring about evil and destruction possibly, probably, absolutely more than the world has ever known. We talk about how evil the world used to be. Folks, can I tell you that the 20th century was the deadliest century in all of human history? As humanity progresses further and further, we seem to progress further and further, not toward goodness and holiness, but further and further into our depravity. As human beings, we find greater ways to torture, we find greater ways to hurt and to maim and to kill. And we say, what in the world? And yet Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, it's going to happen. Boxers walk to the ring with a towel 
They don't usually carry it. Their trainer comes with a towel. But you know that, that trainer doesn't walk into the ring with that towel because they're expecting to give up and to quit, right? They don't. They don't walk in and say, here's my, here's my white flag of surrender. They walk into the ring with that towel because they know that when they walk into that ring, there's going to be sweat and blood and tears. They know that it's going to be a struggle and it's going to be hard. And the trainer comes prepared to keep the boxer in the fight. Folks, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says it's going to be hard. If you give your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to know this. You're walking into a war zone. A lot of people say, oh, I just want to come to Jesus so my life will get better. You may come to Jesus and your life may get terribly worse. Do you know that? There's no guarantee that by giving your life to Jesus that your life is automatically going to look better. If your finances are a mess, don't think that when you come to Jesus, your finances are going to magically improve, right? If you've ruined every relationship in your life, don't believe that when you give your life to Christ, all those relationships are magically going to be put back together. You might discover that when you give your life to Christ, that many of those relationships get worse because those people that you've surrounded yourself with don't share the same values and the same commitment to Christ. And when you give your life to Christ, those folks may look around and say, I don't want anything to do with whatever it is you're a part of. You've heard me say before, I'll say again, I, I, love, I love the testimony, the conversion story of Rosaria Butterfield. If you've never read her work, I would encourage you to do that. But Rosaria Butterfield refers to her conversion as a train wreck. She says, when I came to Jesus, my life fell apart. Because she was saved from an incredibly different lifestyle and saved into a Christian lifestyle. And when that happened, everything fell apart. She lost it all. She lost her job, she lost her friends, she lost her relationships. The only thing she had was Jesus and a couple of friends that she made at church. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, if you're going to follow me, you need to be prepared because following me is going to cost you everything. Following me is going to be expensive and costly, but he says, don't give up. The trainer walks in with a towel, not because he wants to give up. The trainer walks in because they know that when they step into that ring, it's going to be a battle. And I want you to know that coming to Jesus Christ is no guarantee that your life is going to get easy. Coming to Jesus Christ is an invitation to a spiritual war. And aspects of your life may fall apart. Look at what Jesus goes on to say. Brother will turn against brother, mother and father against children, children against parents. Mercy. The world is a violent place. How can we endure? First of all, we can endure by just recognizing it. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. We knew this was coming. The second thing this morning, fix your eyes on Jesus. When things get hard, we start looking for answers. And, and for some reason, we usually want new answers, not old ones. You ever, you ever notice that? Like when everything falls apart and you, you say, I, I, I need to get this figured out. And somebody says, well, why don't you? No, 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 don't tell me that same old thing. I need something new. Why, why do we always need something new? You know, I mean, like, and it can be about anything. You know, people have been getting nauseous since the beginning of time. There have been stomach bugs that have gone around all over the place. Okay, and as long as I've been alive, people have said the same thing. If you can eat some saltine crackers and some water, you're doing all right. Right? I mean, that's about as good as it gets. If you can keep down a saltine cracker, and if that doesn't work, folks, why are you trying anything else? And yet, look, how many of you have jumped on the Internet and said, what can I keep down when I have a stomach virus? And it says something disgusting. You know, it's like strawberry banana yogurt and ginger ale, and you're, you're like, Boo. right? 
I like bananas make me nauseous anyway. If you can eat a banana. My grandma used to say, if you can keep oatmeal down. I said, I don't even like oatmeal when I'm not sick. Why would I try to keep it down now? But we're always looking for this new thing, right? Man, I was sick last week. You know what I learned? I learned that the, 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 the special oil from the ginger tree plant on the other side of Asia is perfect to help you with all of your digestive problems. What? I don't want it. Just tell me. Tell, why do we need something new? Why does there need to be a new essential oil or a new smell or a new rub or a new cream? What if the old thing just worked? If Sprite and Crackers worked 27 years ago, why can't Sprite and Crackers work today? Because we need something new. We want something fresh, you know? I don't want to go to the car lot and buy a car and they say, this has got all the same features that your 1998 had. Right? I want No, I don't want 1998 features. I want 2022 features. Right? I want to buy it in 2019 and I want that thing to be new four years from now. We want it to be cutting edge and the same thing seems to be true with our spiritual life. When, when, when things get bad, we're looking for the next big thing. I, I, I often see this when couples walk into my office and they're in struggle. You know, they, they've, they've jumped on and they've tried this and they've tried this and they've tried this. And you go, hey, did, 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 you, did you just try to go back to sort of God's intended design for marriage? Well, what's that look like? Well, put Jesus first, you know, put others second, put yourself last. Can I get this look? Well, we read this and, and we tried that and, and we went on a, a vacation to Hawaii to try and repair our marriage. I'm like, what, really? You took $10,000 in debt to try and fix your marriage? That was not a smart move. If your marriage is in trouble, don't go into debt to try to fix it. You're going to make it worse. When things get hard, we start looking for answers, but we usually want new ones, not old ones. Before you look somewhere else, let me urge you to look to Jesus. Find hope and security in Jesus. Lots of people emerge with new answers or new approaches to old things. Some people even work to cloak their answers in such a way as to appear godly. But y'all, how can we know in the, in the internet age... In the information age, how can we know whether or not we are following Jesus or whether or not we're following a really, really good counterfeit? First, I want you to recognize this isn't new. It's not new. False teachers are false messiahs, false Christ. This isn't a new thing, right? This has been going on forever. Jesus warned his disciples, there are going to be people that are going to come after me. They're going to say they're me. They're going to pretend to be like me. In the time period surrounding Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection, there were many people who claimed to be the Christ. The problem is only one of them died and got up out of the grave. A whole lot of them died. Only one of them rose. A lot of them were killed by the government. Only one overcame death, hell, sin, and the grave. And that is Jesus of Nazareth. That one in whom we stand amazed in his presence. Recognize then that it's not new for people to claim to be the Savior of the world or for people to claim to be the answer to all of your problems. Jesus wanted his disciples to know there would be imposters and frauds. Imposters and frauds. I found something British. Imposters and frauds. And I, I want you to know today that there are imposters and frauds. I see it often in speakers, leaders, and authors who claim to be Christian but who do not look like Jesus. Folks, listen to me. Christians act like Jesus. Period. Like there, there's not something else that goes on the back end of that. Christians look and act like Jesus. If people don't look and act like Jesus, our initial assumption should be they don't belong to Jesus. Period. Now, it's possible 
For those of you that want to get all grumpy with me, that you might discover that there is a Christian somewhere out there that's living in active rebellion to the Lord. But can I just tell you, That as believers in Jesus Christ, if we value the witness of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world, it's time that we stop making excuses for people who claim Christ and don't act like Him, and don't look like Him, and don't sound like Him, and don't talk like Him. Because when we do that, the only thing we do is say to a lost and dying world that Christianity is not distinct. Jesus changes people. From the beginning to the end, from the heart all the way out. So what do we do when things get hard? Fix your eyes on Jesus. In the early part of the 20th century, leaders like Walter Rauschenbusch worked to redefine Christianity around the idea of the kingdom of God and a social gospel rather than a life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. They argued that the primary occupation of Christians was to spread the kingdom of God through social engagement, feed the hungry, clothe the poor and and heal the sick. All of those are things that Christians should be a part of, but the primary engagement of Christians is to proclaim the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. And anything less than that is less than gospel missional engagement. We've got to be serious about the gospel, and we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus and Jesus alone. But how can you know? How can you know if you're following Jesus or you're following a cheap imitation? Folks, listen to me. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Do you know, this sounded better when I wrote it. When I say it out loud, y'all just give me time to get through this. Don't judge me. Um, I don't have to examine lots of different women to figure out who is not my wife. Yeah. So let's work with it. I wrote it, so let's just stick with it. It's a good thing, because if I did, I would get arrested. But I don't, right? I I know Angela. I know what she looks like. I know what she sounds like. I know the kinds of of, of fragrances that she wears. I, I, I know. I even know the way that she texts messages. I know the kinds of jokes that she gets. I know her laugh. I could hear all of you laugh, and I would know hers apart from everyone else's. And it's not because I'm examining all the imposters. It's because I've fixed my eyes on the love of my life. Folks, let me urge you. How is it that you can know that you're following Jesus? I want you to look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, and fix your eyes upon him. And what you'll begin to discover when you gaze at Jesus, when you follow after Jesus with all that you have, is that the deficiencies of his imposters begin to stand out. My parents, you ever have one of those cars that everybody else seems to have? Y'all, y'all know the one I'm talking about? Like you walk out into a parking lot and there's like eight of them. My parents drove a, a Tahoe like that one time. It was a champagne-colored Tahoe. And I, in that body style, half of the ones that were ever made must have been that color. And you could walk out into a parking lot and look for that vehicle, and there would be ten of them. You know, how in the world? You know what? I, I, I never looked for what the, the imposter would look like I just knew that there were a couple of things about that vehicle that were, that were different. There was one sticker on it, and it didn't have a trailer hitch. And if a car had a trailer hitch, I knew it wasn't that one. If it didn't have the sticker, I knew it wasn't that one. So I was looking for that one. Chances are there wasn't going to be one that looked just like it. Okay? They looked like it in nearly every other way, but they were either missing something or they had added something. Folks, there can be a whole lot of things in this world that look like Jesus in a whole lot of ways. But trust me on this, the frauds will always be missing something or they will be adding something. 
And here's what we've got to know is that Jesus is enough just as he is. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He is the perfect plan for our salvation. And he is the perfect role model for us to chase after. So how in the world can we find these impostors? How can we stick it out? How can we not give up on the Christian faith and chase after a false faith? Let me urge you, fix your eyes on Jesus. Let me urge you to be aware of some of these sorts of phrases. There's some catchphrases you should be aware of. The God I serve wouldn't do this. Be aware of that catchphrase. Because the God that we serve is the God of that Bible. And what the Bible says he is or, 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 or will do or does is what he does. And when somebody says, well, the God I serve wouldn't do this. Folks, if it's not in line with what this Bible says, then listen, the God that you serve is not this God. Now, for some of you, that's offensive, and I don't want to be offensive to you, but I would challenge you to do this. If the God you serve is not the God of this Bible, tell me, which one is he? Which one is he? Well, he's the God of love. Okay, fine, but which one is he? And can he save you from your sins? Are you willing to wage your eternal soul and the lives and the eternal lives of your children and grandchildren on the God that you've imagined or the God of this book? They can't both be real. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. When people say, how could you? We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. When life gets hard, we've got to look to Jesus. And we've got to stare right there and we've got to keep our eyes focused. Don't give up. You say, but Craig, it's hard. And I'm here to tell you, I know. Don't give up. Don't give up. Recognize the world's violent. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And third this morning, trust in the Holy Spirit. Jesus looks at his disciples. He tells them it's going to be hard. He says, you're going to be turned over um, to, to, to councils and to rulers. They're going to come after you with all that they have. He says the world is going to be violent. It's not just going to be violent as a result of, of what's going to take place uh, from wars and rumors of wars. He says the world is going to be violent because there are the birth pains that even involve natural disasters. But then he looks at his disciples. Now watch this. I, I, I read this, this passage of Scripture, I don't know how many times this week. And I'll be honest with you, it wasn't until probably five or six times through it that, that all of a sudden Jesus' compassion jumped out off the page in this passage of Scripture. He says, Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness. He says, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Matthew says it this way. He says, the gospel will be proclaimed to all nations. Wasn't that exciting? I love the way that Matthew recounts the, the, the angel's message to Joseph. He says, call his name Jesus, for he will save his people. There's no, there's no question about whether or not God will be victorious here. The gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you're going to say. Now, this is where all of a sudden Jesus' compassion jumps off the page at me. Because I remembered who Jesus was talking to. Jesus has just looked at his ragtag band of Mary followers, 12 disciples made up of all sorts of mess. Fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and, and conservatives and, 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 and moderates. I mean, all these people wrapped up in this one mess. And Jesus says, by the way, the center of your world, Jerusalem, is going to be ransacked. They're going to destroy this temple. 
They're going to deliver you over to councils. That is to your own people, to the Jewish ruling councils. And they are going to judge you. They're going to beat you and flog you. And as if that's not bad enough, they're going to deliver you over to Roman officials who are also going to beat you and flog you. And as if that weren't bad enough, he says it's going to get really personal because there's going to be some of you for whom? Your mama, your daddy, your brothers, your sisters, everybody's going to be against you. And he says, you're going to bear witness for me. We're going to do what? Wait a minute, Jesus. This place is going to be destroyed. The world is going to teeter on its foundations. They're going to make us stand in front of the smartest people that we know who have all of the ruling authority. And when we stand there, Jesus, you're telling us that we still have a job to do? You want us to do what? Do you know who you're talking to? Jesus, you do all the preaching. You do all the teaching. You do all the speaking. Do you remember we tried to cast out a demon a while back and they all made fun of us and you had to come in and save the day? Jesus, do you remember that? He says, I don't want you to be anxious. Be anxious. Don't worry. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. There's a promise that Jesus gives. Trust in the Holy Spirit. He tells them it's going to be hard. He tells them in the fog of a spiritual war, it can sometimes be difficult to know which way to turn. But he also tells them you will not be alone. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, you can do this. You can hold on. You don't have to give up. You can hold on. You can continue to trust in Christ in a world that says that that is ridiculous and makes no sense. You can continue to trust in Christ in a world that claims that it is irresponsible. You can continue to trust in Christ in a world that says it is weak. You can continue to trust in Christ because He is enough. Is life hard for you today? Have you considered giving up? Is it difficult to to consider remaining a Christian? Jesus says, hold on, I've given you more than you realize. Hang on. You're not going to know what to say sometimes. You may even be persecuted. And you won't know all the right answers, but hold on. It's okay because you are not all alone. God's Holy Spirit is with you. And the Holy Spirit is a reminder or a remembrancer to bring back into your heart and your mind all those things that God has said to you through His Word and through His Son. He's a reminder. The Holy Spirit is a comforter in those hard days. He comes to us and grants to us a peace that exceeds even our own human ability to understand. And you ready? And the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of even better things to come. Then finally, there's one thing truth about the Christian life that's not included in this passage of scripture you see you don't have to give up because the world is a violent place Jesus told you it was coming you don't have to give up because you can fix your eyes on Jesus and when you do you're going to find a savior who goes ahead of you before you around you you don't have to give up 
Because the Holy Spirit is your comforter. He is your guarantee. But folks, you also don't have to give up. Because Jesus has already won the battle. See, I I brought this towel so that you would just have an idea about what it is to be in a fight and to be reminded not to throw in the towel. But this, this illustration, it falls apart. And it falls apart because in the end, Jesus is in your corner and he's already suffered in your place. You see, it falls apart because the victory has already been secured in Christ. You see, it falls apart... Because we don't have to give up because we know that even though the battles may be hard, even though the world may be horrible and evil and violent, we don't have to give up because we know that Jesus has won the war. We've read all the way to the end of the book and so we don't have to quit. And so this morning my plea to you is don't quit. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Jesus is enough. Don't quit on your marriage. Jesus is enough. Don't quit on your faith. Jesus is enough. Don't quit on your kids. Jesus is enough. Don't quit on your parents. Jesus is enough. You say, Craig, it's hard. Folks, welcome to real life. One of the lies that our world sells us today is that life is supposed to be easy and comfortable. And folks, that's just a lie. At no point in the history of the world has there ever been a place or a time where life was easy and comfortable. Life is filled with struggle and strife. Is it God's intention? No. See, we read the end, but we also read the beginning of the book. In the very beginning, the Bible says that God created a world in perfect harmony with Him. But the problem is that we rejected God's rule, and when we reject God's rule, sin comes into the world, and sin spoils this good world that God has created. Evil, death, pain, and struggle come in. And see, it's crazy the lie that we believe. The lie that the devil has sold to us. Then when it gets hard and awful and bad, we say, God can't be good. But here's the problem. God didn't create it. We did. We brought it upon ourselves with our sin. And it is God who longs to rescue us from our struggle. So I come to you this morning. I ask you not to quit. I ask you not to give up. Don't throw in the towel. Jesus has already fought on your behalf. He stands with you today. So as we sing in just a moment, we hold on. Would you hold on for just one more week? Would you hold on for just one more day? If you can't even do that, would you hold on for one more hour? Would you hold on just long enough to say, God, I don't know how, but Lord, I'm going to trust you. Would you? Would you look at that spouse and say, I don't know how, but Lord God, I'm going to trust that in your plan, this is right. And God, we're going to find a way. God, work. 
Would you look in the mirror and would you say, Lord God, I don't know how I'm ready to give up on life, but God, I'm going to trust in your plan and we're going to let you work. Would you look at the church and say, God, it's a mess. It's broken. I don't know how, but Lord God, I'm not going to give up on the church. Lord, work. You say, Craig, I can't do this. Did you read about the disciples? They were more messed up than me. They were messed up. And Jesus says, you're going to do all this. And they go, huh? He says, you are. You can. And then read verse 13. Ready? You will be hated for my name's sake. Thanks, Jesus. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Can we read through the lines a little bit there? And let me tell you what Jesus said. You can make it. You can make it. You can endure. It's going to be hard, but you can make it. And folks, I'm here to tell you today, you can make it. You can make it. You don't have to throw in the towel. You can make it. Jesus has made a way. If you're here today and you're ready to give up, I'd love to pray with you. If you're here today and you're ready to give up, we'd love for you to come up and pray. Perhaps if you're here today and you're ready to give up, perhaps you just need to praise the Lord who has provided a way. Don't quit today. If you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let me invite you to come today. Let me invite you to come. You might discover that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness that he brings will free you from the pain of your past, free you from the sin that holds you, will open up the doors in the future for you to inherit eternal life. Would you come today? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd be at work among us in us and through us. Father, I pray you'd help us to hold on. Lord, when we don't have the strength to hold on, Lord, would you hold on to us? In Jesus' name, amen. I don't ever do this, but one more thing. 